perfectly imperfect, number nine, which means we're almost done. And this is the one I was maybe most looking forward to because it's about fun. And we're going to center on the whole chapter of Luke 15. But before we get there, let me tell you about this fun. I feel like I need to clarify about fun before I just set you loose into the wild. I tell you, just go, have fun, be excited, run around, do things, right? I need to clarify what I mean by fun. Because fun doesn't necessarily mean just doing any and everything with reckless abandonment. There's a certain particular kind of fun that we're after And we're going to look at the parable of the prodigal son to discover exactly what type of fun we want. Cool? Um, Let me see this. So there's actually three parables in Luke 15, right? There's the lost sheep, there's the lost coin, and there's the lost boy, right? Reminds me of Peter Pan, like the lost boys. Um, And here's what happens. I'm going to read you the beginning, how Luke 15 starts off, so that we know the context for why Jesus is telling all three of these stories rapid fire, one after another, okay? It says this, Now the tax collectors, one, and sinners, two, were all drawing near to him. And there, and the Pharisees, three, and the scribes grumbled about this. Here's what they grumbled about. Saying, this man, meaning Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus eats with sinners. So the tax collectors and the sinners are present. Jesus is eating with them. And the two parties that are upset and grumbling about this, they're angry about it, are the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, here's why. Like, don't just get mad at the Pharisees right off the bat. we got to understand what's going on. They, I think, had good intentions, right? See, in society, in this ancient day, we're going to talk about the audience first. In the society, there were two groups of people, okay? One was called the Habarim. Can you say Habarim? Sounds like a fun toy that you would ride in the pool, right? A habarine. Watch out, I'll hit you with my habarine. But anyway, that was a group of people. And this group, the habarine, they were a really righteous group of people. This is the group that the Pharisees are from. The Pharisees are habarines. And they were concerned with morality, with righteousness, with cleanliness, with upholding the law, and making sure that the rest of the people in society were doing just those things. They actually thought that if we are good enough, if we behave enough, if we are clean enough, we will make the Messiah come faster. Right? So their intention is that the Messiah would come faster. Here's the problem. The Messiah in this instance is right in front of them and they miss it. Right? And they're grumbling and accusing him of doing wrong and upset about the, what the Messiah is doing in their midst. So something went wrong along the way, right? So there's the Habarine. 
And there's another group called the Amha'aretz. Can you say Amha'aretz? Amha'aretz. <laughs> wow, that was... Say Amha'aretz. Amha'aretz. You guys, we're talking about fun tonight. Would you be a little more into it? Say Amha'aretz. Amha'aretz. Okay. Amha'aretz. <laughs> Close enough. I'm going to... We, we've still got like two more hours to go, so hopefully you'll be more jazzed up by the end. And the Amharets were common folk. They were not the Habarin. They were the everyday people. They were the day laborers. They were the sinners. They were the tax collectors. So that's the two groups represented here. Habarin, righteous folk. Amharets, the common folk. Sinners and tax collectors. Now here's what's going on. There's stuff wrong with the Amha Aretz, and it's very apparent because it's very visible. But there's also stuff wrong with the Habarin, but it's less apparent because it's less visible. All right, but it does pop up. Now, here's why the Habarin or the Pharisees and the scribes are getting upset at the fact that Jesus is eating with sinners. They are concerned with table fellowship. If we're eating at the same table, and this is the ancient Near East, that means all the food is on the table, and all the food on the table is for everyone. We don't all have our own plate. There is a general smorgasbord, right? And we all grab our pita bread and our hummus and our stuff and our sauces and our tzatziki and our falafels and our whatever. And we're dipping and we're touching. So that means that there are unclean people at the table interacting with clean people. The unclean are making the clean unclean. Make sense? So, for example, if the common folk, the Amha Aretz, we're going to have the Pharisee, we're going to go to the Pharisee's house to have table fellowship, to eat dinner. They would have to clean themselves, their garments, everything about them to walk into the Pharisee's house and sit there and have a meal with them. On the other hand, if the Habarim, the cleanly folk, the Pharisees, were going to have dinner at the Amha Aretz, the common folks' house, the common folks would have to clean their entire house, their entire self, their entire clothes, their entire family, and the dog. Right? To make the environment clean, because if clean and unclean come into contact with each other in their world, unclean wins, unclean contaminates. This is their concern. Because Jesus is eating with those who would seem unclean. The tax collectors and sinners. Prostitute kind of people. And if he's having table fellowship and dinner with these people, it's almost like he's tabernacling with them. The way that God would tabernacle with the Israelites in the desert, right? He would come down, meet with them, touch down on earth with them. His presence would be in the Holy of Holies, and he would interact with them. They would have a barbecue. The fragrance would go up to heaven, and God would be pleased with the sweet smell of burning pork. Not pork. They didn't eat pork. Beef. In his nostrils, right? The fattened calf. We're going to talk more about that. So here's the thing. They... The Habarim get mad at Jesus for eating with the Amharets. They're like, you can't do this. Unclean. You are defiled because they are defiled. And Jesus goes, hang on, let me tell you a few stories. And they're all about lost things being found. 
First, a lost sheep. And I'm not going to read these ones. I'm just going to glance over them. A shepherd has a hundred sheep. And one runs away. And he leaves the 99 in favor of finding the one. He leaves the found to find the lost. And when he finds the lost sheep, he celebrates, he throws a party because the lost is now found. It's brought back, it's restored into wholeness with the 99. He's got 100 again. Likewise, there was a lady who had 10 silver coins and she lost one silver coin in her house. So she leaves the nine silver coins where they are and she turns the house upside down looking for her one silver coin that she lost. Right? She's looking in the cracks between the wood planks on the floor. She's turning the bed upside down. She's, you know, she's flipping the house upside down in favor of finding this one lost thing with fervor. And when she finds it, she throws a party, she celebrates, she invites everybody over because the lost is found. It's restored to where it's supposed to be. And here's the parable after that of the prodigal son, which I'll read and then I'll explain. And I know you're wondering, like, what does all this have to do with fun? Right? I know you're wondering that. But just stick with me. And as we give the background, hopefully you'll get more insight into why... This has to do with fun. All right, so let's read it. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. All right, so the father has two sons. And if you're this audience, Pharisees, scribes, sinners, tax collectors, if you're this ancient society audience and you're hearing this story, you you already start to make connections in your mind. This is an honor-shame society and culture, which means it is built upon whether you give honor or give shame to certain people. Right? So, in order of importance, there are three characters mentioned in the story so far. And the order in which they rank in importance in this society is first the father. He is the most important. Second is the oldest son. He's second important. And third is the youngest son. He is least important among those three. And the honor is supposed to flow from these parties in a particular way. It's supposed to flow upwards. Meaning that the younger son gives honor to the second, the first son, and the first son and the second son give honor to the father. This is what society is all about. This is why part of the Ten Commandments is honoring your father and mother. This is built into this society. So the first son says something that absolutely dishonors the father. The, the youngest son becomes rebellious. And he says to the father, give me my share of the inheritance. Right? The first son gets the biggest chunk. Two-thirds of the inheritance or the property. The second son, the youngest son, gets one-third of the property. So here's what he says to the father. Give me the share of the inheritance that is coming to me. Now here's the thing. The father can't just like pull some cash out of the bank and give it to him because the inheritance is wrapped up in stuff and things and land 
and animals. This is the inheritance. So what he is saying to the father is, I want my third of the stuff so that I can sell it all and get the money. And you start to get the squirmies under your skin because, like, you just, you don't say this to your father. This is like going to your father and saying, I wish you were dead. Think about it. Think about any of you approaching your father and going, okay, first off, am I in the will? And he's like, okay, that was, that was pretty audacious of you. Yes, you're in the will. Um, and? And you say to your father, okay, I'll take my portion now. And the father's like, okay, I understand, but wouldn't you rather have me now and my life now and my presence now? And you're like, no, don't even care. Give me what's coming to me early. So in a crazy move, for whatever reason, the father gives the younger son his request. And he gives him a third of the estate. And the younger son goes and liquidates everything, meaning he turns it all into cash. And then he runs off. And right here, we're going to encounter the first type of fun. Foolish fun. Okay? He gives the prodigal son his inheritance. Prodigal son sells it all, which means he goes into town and sells it. So not only did he dishonor his father by asking for it, he dishonors the father again because now the whole town knows, right? He goes into town and sells all the belongings. You're like, you're doing it wrong, son, right? He has this audacity in the request. He dishonors his father. And as he asks for his inheritance, he journeys, it says, to a far-off land, and he goes and squanders his inheritance. But it says in verse 13, recklessly living. With this money that he's found now, he uses it foolishly because he doesn't know how to use it yet. And whatever you can imagine this son would be doing, that's probably what he was doing. He was doing everything wrong. He was like using the money to sleep with prostitutes and he was gambling it away and he was drunk every day and he was cussing people out and he was on the street looking like, you know, nobody's business and his, his face is all messed up and his shirt is hanging off and he's like, hey guys, this is fun in his version of fun. But this version of fun is short-lived. This version of fun doesn't last forever because as soon as the money runs out, his fun runs out. His fun is based on money. It's not long-lasting. It's not sustainable. So the money runs out. The fun runs out. And like a typical addicted person who's starting to hit rock bottom, he goes in search of whatever he can find to alleviate the pain of the hole in his heart that he just can't stand to sit still and deal with. So he attaches himself, it says, to a citizen of that far off land. Which means like, uh, you know when people try to shame you into giving them money? You know when they like do you a favor, like they'll come up and start washing your windows and you didn't ask for it. And you're like, hang on, I don't want that. 
But they just washed your windows, and so now you feel guilty, and so now you give them money. This is what the youngest son does. He goes and attaches himself or glues himself to a citizen of the far-off land so that that guy feels guilty enough to keep him alive because there's a famine in the land. He's like, listen, okay, man, you're bugging me. I don't want to deal with you. You can work with the pigs. Now, this seems like a nice gesture, but in this society, this is what you would do to people because you would never tell them, no, I'm not going to help you. Instead, if you didn't want to help them, you would shame them. Remember, honor, shame? You would shame them. So the citizen of this country says, I know what I'll do to this guy. I'll offer him a job that he would never accept, and he'll go away from me. So he offers him the job of tending to the pigs. No Jewish person would ever tend to the pigs because they're unclean. So the epitome of uncleanliness in an animal, he says to a good young Jewish boy, you can go hang out with the pigs, and if you're hungry, you eat what they eat. Table fellowship. Right? So the kid goes and actually does it. Instead of running away like, I'm too good for this. He goes and actually tends to the pigs and eats what they eat. And he's hungering for what they're hungering for. And he's like, I see what I've done. I see my own foolishness. See, what he thought was fun was short-lived because the pleasure is over and our reality has set in. And he comes to the conclusion, I was foolish. And I have one more place I can turn. I can turn back to the father who I dishonored. I can go back to him and I can say, okay, listen, I know I totally messed up. I know I totally said, I wish you were dead. I know I sold all the stuff that you gave for me, and I know I squandered all that money. I know I don't deserve this, but I will come to you on my knees. And that's precisely what he does. He comes to the Father on his knees and says, Will you at least just let me be a servant in your house? And as he's playing all this out in his mind, he's like, Yeah, that's what I'll do. He starts heading towards his father's house and he's getting ready to come sorrowfully with his head downcast to his father and say, listen, I'm falling on my knees before you. I've got no other options. Can I be a servant in your house? And to his surprise, the father doesn't wait for the son to come to him and face his own shame. The father covers the son's shame and runs to him. Right? Fathers don't do this in honor-shame society. Kids, kids run. Fathers don't run. Because for him to run means he's picking up his robes and his skinny little white legs are showing, which he doesn't like to show people. And he is running. He says, while the sun was far off, he went running to him. So the father runs to the son. He humbles himself. Totally unexpected. And the, the son, the younger son, is about to say, listen, can I, just, can I just be a servant in your house? And the father is like, baloney! You will not be a servant in my house. Do you know where you came from? Do you know that you're supposed to be here? Do you know that you've been lost and now you're found? I've been waiting for this this whole time. Listen, 
We're going to have a party. Servants, he calls to his servants, get him a robe. Cover up his shame and his grossness and the fact that he's been hanging out with the pigs. His tattered clothing, cover it up. Give him a robe. Give him a ring on his finger, which this is like, you know, you melt the wax on the thing and the signature is in the ring. So you stamp the melted wax. It's as good as saying, my name is your name. You are reinstated. My money is your money. Right? Peace. The father says, I will cover you with robes. I will cover your shame. I will reinstate your name, meaning you have the family name again. And in fact, servants, you know what? Go get the fattened calf and let's have a barbecue. So the servants go and get the fattened calf, which is saved for events like weddings, huge events. Fattened calf feeds hundreds of people. So they slay the fattened calf and they're barbecuing up the fattened calf. And you don't just do that for like five, ten people. Hundreds of people are at this gathering. And it's in the house. So this is a big estate. They've got a fattened calf. They're feeding hundreds of people. All those people who knew that the father was shamed, he's now inviting them into the household to come and celebrate with him this lost boy. And I'm starting to think that the father knows how to have fun. Right? There's a party going on in the father's house. Celebrating, singing, and dancing is going on in the father's house. Now hang on. While all this is going on, you've got the foolish fun. Not a good idea. And you've got the Pharisee, the Pharisaical version of fun. Also probably not a good idea. The pharisaical version of fun is we are not allowed to have fun because joy is not allowed to be had. We will be party poopers and joy crushers and we will resist fun. Our version of fun is not fun. We sit there and stare at each other with straight faces. This is Pharisee fun. Does that sound fun? <laughs> this is the type of fun that the older brother is having, or lack thereof. The older brother is having non-fun. Foolish fun and non-fun. So here's what happens with the brother. We've got the rebellious prodigal son, and we've got the religious older son. And while the party is going on in the house. Okay, it's no surprise that the whole neighborhood, the whole village has been gathered inside the house to have a party. But the older son, in his pride, in his arrogance, in his religiosity, he can't believe it. And he stays outside and works in the field. Because the love of the father, he has been spending his whole life earning it. He's done everything right. 
He's never dishonored his father, apparently. He's never swore and said bad words. He's never slept with prostitutes. He's never slept with anybody. He's worked hard every day of his life. He's done everything right. So if anybody deserves a party in the older brother's head, who deserves the party? He does. Now because of the anger and the bitterness in his heart, he sees a party being thrown for the younger, rebellious son who squandered all this money, has done everything wrong that you could do. And he says, oh no, that is not fair. That is not right. I will not stand for this. So here's how the older son dishonors the father as well. Everybody's inside partying. It says celebrating. It says dancing. They're in there rejoicing that this kid is back and they're having a good time. They're having fun. And while the fun is being had, just right outside the doors of the house, out in the yard, the older brother withholds himself from the fun. Fun happens and he says, oh no, not on my watch. He's too angry. His heart can't face it. So he dishonors the father. Watch this. The father comes outside to the older son and says, your brother's home. Come inside. Let's have a party. Let's dance and sing and rejoice and eat the fattened calf. Older brother says, no. The father pleads. And in this society, fathers don't plead, just like fathers don't run. And when he comes to the son with a request, this is what I'd like you to come in and let's party for your brother. The older son refuses the father. He disobeys the father. He dishonors the father. Rebellious fun doesn't last. Religious non-fun gets mad at everybody else who is having fun. The religious heart will look at the party and find everything wrong with the party. But let me say something. The older brother is not mad at the party. He's not mad at the fun. He's not mad at his brother. He's not mad at his father. Who is the older brother mad at? Who's he mad at? Himself. He is mad at himself because he denies the brokenness and the sin and the disgrace in his own heart. Both of these children, one who misbehaves and one who behaves, run from the father. 
the runner comes back and says, I'm sorry. Father says, let's have a party. The, non, the non-runner, the good doer, the religious one, has the attitude of, I earned it, and I am righteous in my anger. So I will not join the fun because this fun is not right, according to him. But I say that this fun is absolutely right. The father knows how to have fun. If we look at the three main characters in this story, we see three versions of fun, and we've got to ask, which one do we want? Rebellious fun? Uh, you could try it. Doesn't last. Non-fun. Does that sound like the answer? We're going to have non-fun fun. And we're going to be serious while everybody else is having fun. And we are not going to allow fun because Christians aren't allowed to enjoy themselves. Wait, what? What do you suppose heaven is? What do you suppose the wedding feast of the Lamb is? Good. Good. Better than in and out What do you suppose killing the fattened calf and having a barbecue is? What do you suppose inviting everybody over to celebrate the fact that the lost boy is found? is fun. What do you suppose dancing in the story is? Fun. And what are they having fun about? They're not having fun recklessly or rebelliously. They're not judging people who are having fun They're having fun like the father has fun. See, in the story, the father humbles himself. The father runs. Running is fun. He sprints. He sprints to the sun. He picks up his robe and he shows his white legs and he runs to the sun. He's like, what are you doing? Get up off the ground. Put my robe on you. Put my ring on your finger. We're killing a big calf. Right? It's going to feed hundreds of people. We're going to have a party. All right? Get all the people together. We're going to dance and we're going to sing and we're going to rejoice and we're going to celebrate because my son is here. The father knows how to have fun. And he calls together a great coming together of all peoples to celebrate that the lost are found. God's throwing a big party. God, the inventor of fun, knows how to have the greatest fun, but not in a rebellious, sinful way, but in a way that comes together and does exactly what we were meant to do. Stop caring about ourselves. Start rejoicing about other people. Celebrate that the lost are found. 
clothe yourself in humility and even be willing to embarrass yourself in front of people by running down the road, picking up your robes. This fun, in a way, is a type of abandonment. It is a letting go of what people think. This is what C.S. Lewis said. I love this quote. That has to do with fun. C.S. Lewis said, I put away childish things, including the fear of being childish. And the desire to be very grown up. The older son has a fear of being childish. He has a desire to be very grown up. He takes his stuff very seriously. He takes his work very seriously. He does everything right. And he judges those who would be childish in his midst, including the father. Bad call. Older son, bad call. This is the definition of fun that I hope that we can have. It is joyful. All right, all these are embodied in the in what the father does in this story. This fun is joyful. It is forgiving. Meaning it's let go of anger and bitterness and unforgiveness in the heart. It is freedom filled. It doesn't care what other people think. It doesn't care about embarrassing itself and making a fool of itself. Humbling itself to restore someone. It is life giving. It is not life withdrawing. That's why non-fun, like the religious son, is not fun at all. It's life-taking. It's joy-taking. It's forgiveness-withholding. This fun is an abandonment that celebrates others. It's let go of what people think. It's let go of its own notions of what's right and wrong. Not that they don't exist anymore, but it stopped using those to hold against people, to be angry at people that the Father is no longer angry at. Make sense? It abandons those things. It abandons what people think. It abandons keeping up appearances. And it celebrates others. See, a party that's all about celebrating self, that doesn't last very long. A party that gives glory to self doesn't last very long because there's a party at the end of time that says you don't get to celebrate yourself and give glory to yourself. There's one who receives and deserves glory. Celebrating others is fine. And imagine going to a party like that. That would be fun, right? A party where everybody is celebrating everybody else. And nobody is trying to become the glory taker or the center of attention. And people are feeling left out. A party that celebrates others. You don't have to worry about celebrating yourself. 
in that kind of party because somebody is celebrating you for you. Make sense? That sounds like fun, right? That sounds like we should be doing that, right? Like every time we come together for church, right? Now, if we're talking about that kind of fun, then absolutely. Shall we do that? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for showing us what fun really is. Thank you so much that in the story of the prodigal son, you show us through this forgiving father what fun is really all about. Help us to be like the father and run to forgive people. Help us to rejoice when the lost are found. God, let us not foolishly fall into the idea that self-serving, fun-seeking is the way to go. Remind us that that doesn't last. And remind us to stop judging people when they're having fun. And let us remember the fact that we're forgiven and that is not holding, as not being held against us. God, increase the amount of fun in each of our lives. Help us to rejoice in others, be joyful, forgiving, freedom-filled, life-giving, and abandoned to celebrate others. Give us that kind of fun. In your name, amen.